And welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com. He is Paul Dettino. I'm Lance Meadow with you for the next 60 minutes as we will continue to break down the Giants' 2019 opponents today. We are going to turn our attention to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We'll get to your phone calls as well at 201-939-4513, hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. It is all presented by Coors Light. So glad you could join us in for today's program. And Tampa Bay is an intriguing team to me, Paul, as we're going to be joined by Scott Reynolds of the Pewter Report momentarily because Bruce Arians is a brand-new coach, but he mm -hmm. is a veteran who's done a great job turning teams around and also helping quarterbacks develop, and I think that's what makes the Bucks one of the closest teams to really monitor entering this season. Well, it's interesting that he would come out of retirement after walking out on the Arizona Cardinals for this specific opportunity with a team, quite frankly, that has questions at quarterback. I mean, whether or not they move forward with Jameis Winston uh, still remains to be seen. And I think Arians is the guy who's going to have to make that happen for him if they're going to re-sign him to a long-term deal. So to get more into the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, we are now joined by Scott Reynolds, who covers the team for the Pewter Report. Scott, you got Lance Meadow, Paul Dettino here on Giants.com. Big Blue Kickoff Live. Appreciate the time today. How's everything? Doing good, guys. How are you? We're doing Scott? very well. As we look ahead to the 2019 season, as both of these teams are nearing the start of training camp, and I want to start, Scott, with a big-picture perspective, because right before we had you on, we were talking about the impact Bruce Arians has had on his previous teams, whether it be from an offensive standpoint, a leadership standpoint. From being around the squad since Arians has taken over, what has been the noticeable change that you think is going to rub off on the squad from top to bottom? Well, it's really been accountability, and it has to be, because even when Dirk Cutter was fired at the end of last year, he said talent wasn't the issue. And when Bruce Arians walked into the door, he said he's never walked into a, a better situation in terms of talent with the Buccaneers. And uh, you look at the record the last couple of years, uh, including two very close games against the Giants, one in the Bucks' favor. Last year it was not. But 5-11 records in both of those seasons, that led to Dirk Cutter's departure. So... Um, it really, it boils down to accountability and, and the players being accountable to themselves and, um, uh, it, and, and simply living up to their talent and their potential. And you look at what Bruce Arians did in Arizona and uh, coming in that first year and going 10-6, and six, taking the Cardinals to the playoffs. Two years after that, in 2015, they were 13-3 and three and almost made it to the Super Bowl, if not for losing at Carolina. So I, I think that that's the big thing. Bruce is known as an offensive wizard. Offense is not the problem in Tampa. The Buccaneers have had quite a potent offense the last couple of years under Dirk Cutter. I think that's going to continue. But where, um, where the impact is going to be made uh, on the field is going to be on the defensive side with Todd Bowles. And that was a really big coup for Bruce Arians, mm -hmm. getting his staff back together and getting Todd Bowles in the fold as the defensive coordinator. Well, it will be week three when the Giants go down to Tampa Bay to face the Buccaneers September 22nd on the schedule. And I know it's going to be a hot one down there in Florida. In fact, the last time, Scott, that the Giants were in Tampa, I remember I was sitting on the Giants bench about oh, three, four hours before kickoff 
and the heat index was 105. Just 105. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I know it's going to be a hot one. See what you can do about cooling it down just a tad uh, when we get down there. But but let's stick with the defense to start the the roster questioning because. Jason Pierre-Paul, so well-known to Giants fans for his terrific career in Big Blue, which included a Super Bowl uh, championship. We know about the offseason car accident, and we haven't heard much up here since. What is his status? How bad does it look in terms of a season ending or career ending, for that matter? Yeah, I think really there's still some question marks about uh, when and if Jason Pierre-Paul can play again. Um, He is still in a neck brace. And um, he's been over, uh, you know, all over Instagram with some posts, but he's still wearing a neck brace. And it's not a collar. It's a full-on brace. So I, I think the best-case scenario for the Buccaneers is that he heals without, without surgery and is available for the second half of the season. Um, but I, I'm just looking at this, for, you know, from a, a realistic standpoint. If it was a shoulder, if it was a knee, those, that's a different animal. When you're talking about uh, a neck injury, especially for a guy that's, that's in the trenches, that's, that's banging heads with, with offensive tackles and tight ends on every play, that's a different story. And so I, I'm not counting on Jason Pierre-Paul at all this year, and we'll see if he's able to play again. I think the Buccaneers are, are being cautiously optimistic with, uh, with the, the hope that he can play for that second half of the season and, and that, that they're you know, in the thick of it to where he can come back with some fresh legs and, uh, and help them out, that's probably the best-case scenario. But really, it was a big blow because the Buccaneers had not had a double-digit sacker since Jason Pierre-Paul's arrival, dating all the way back to 2005 with Simeon Rice. So I don't see a double-digit sacker on this team right now. I think Carl Nassib is going to be expected to carry the, the load. And he's in a contract year, had a great year last year, his first year in Tampa. He may be able to reach nine or ten sacks, but – they're going to miss Jason Pierre-Paul. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, I think that's a very valid point, especially with Gerald McCoy also parting ways with the team. I think there's a little bit of uncertainty in terms of the pass rush. But in addition, Scott, to Carl Nassib, who you mentioned, you know, who else do you think has the potential to perhaps even break out this season? Because the one thing the Bucks have done, you, know, you could argue they've collected pass rushers or collected, collected at least front seven guys. So they relying on somewhat of the Eagles school of thought, volume and numbers can yeah. hopefully pay off and help overcome maybe missing out on the premier guy in the long run. So who else comes to mind that potentially can make some noise within Todd Bowles' defense? Well, you know, they just added Shaq Barrett, who is a guy that really was a situational pass rusher, played opposite Von Miller with the Denver Broncos for, for several years. Uh, he signed a one-year deal, so you have Nassib and him as veterans who are in one-year deals. Then you also have Noah Spence, who mm-hmm. has really kind of been forgotten the last couple of years. He was a second-round pick, really starred at the, at the Senior Bowl, was a former Ohio State guy that, that um, got in some trouble and had to transfer to Eastern Kentucky. He had a really good rookie season with five-and-a-half sacks and uh, three forced fumbles, had a shoulder injury that really wasn't surgically repaired, had a sack in the 2017 season opener, and then really injured that shoulder again, was put on the injured reserve. Came back healthy last year, fell out of favor with, with the defensive line coach, never really saw much action. This is a contract year for Noah Spence. It's a big year. Uh, this team is stuck with him. He's a second-round pick. He does have some speed off the edge. He's a smaller guy in, in the mold of, of a Shaq Barrett where he's about 6'2", 250. Um, it's going to be a, a big training camp for him in a big year. 
really, those are the three guys you can throw in the fourth-round draft pick, Anthony Nelson, who's a, a, more of a, of a bigger, longer pass rusher in the Carl Nassib type vein. Those are the four guys at outside linebacker that Todd Bowles is going to be counting on. But I, I'm with you. I think they're going to have to to cobble some sacks together with the committee approach. And I think that's really where Todd Bowles um, is, is going to be at his best with Devin White, who I believe is going to be an absolute start at inside linebacker, paired with Levante David. Both those guys can blitz. They will be called on to blitz. You're going to see the nickel corner blitzes. You're going to see safety blitzes. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa Bay can still cobble together 40 sacks without a guy maybe having more than eight uh, on that roster just because of, of the sheer volume of blitzes you're going to see from Bulls from all different places. Isn't it interesting that, that you talk about the pass rush in that way because that's what the Giants are going to try to do themselves. They don't have a proven double-digit sack guy outside of Marcus Golden, who did it back in 16 with the Cardinals, and they're going to try to do the same thing. They're going to try to schematically come up with enough sacks to provide enough of a rush. Now, there are two guys in the back seven that I, I want to ask you about because I think they're very important. First of all, Deion Buchanan, the former Cardinal, and we know how Bowles and, and Betcher utilized him in Arizona. He was such an important guy as that money-backer guy. And then I think Vernon Hargraves, to me, boy, there are people who love that guy, and then there are those like me who say, you know what, uh, he still makes too many mistakes, and it's a little bit too much checkered uh, of a resume for me. I think he, yeah. as a lockdown guy, has to be a lockdown guy for you to start getting fancy with your schematics if you're Todd Bowles. Yeah, because you're right. You're, you're going to be looking at a lot of press man coverage on the outside, and and really, here's the scary thing. Vernon Hargraves is the elder statesman at the cornerback position for the Buccaneers, and he missed um, pretty much, well, he missed all of last year outside of the season opener because he hurt his shoulder in that game. So he missed 15 games last season. He missed half of the year before. And even during his rookie season, he was the most picked-on corner. Mm -hmm. He started all 16 games, but only had one interception. So I, I agree with you. It's now or never for Vernon Hargraves. The team did pick up his fifth-year option, but... Uh, that's not guaranteed, and and we talked about Noah Spence a couple uh, seconds ago being a second-round pick in that 2016 draft. The other second-round pick was Roberto Aguayo, who's gone, and then the first-round pick was Vernon Hargraves. So if Hargraves and Noah Spence can stand and deliver in their contract years, then Jason Light looks a lot better as a general manager. If both those guys fail, um, it's it's a huge strike against Jason Light and a, pretty much a whitewash of that entire 2016 draft class from just a couple years ago. You mentioned Buchanan. I think he's going to play a big-time role at safety because it is a really, really inexperienced secondary, not just a corner, also at nickel corner and at the safety positions. Um, it, it, I'll tell you what, Todd Pulse, he better dial up some serious schematic blitzes that get home because in this division especially, with veteran quarterbacks like Drew Brees and Matt Ryan and Cam Newton, and then you, you have a guy up there in New York and, and Eli Manning, if you if you don't get home on those blitzes, you're exposing your uh, your rookie corners or your second or third year corners uh, to a lot of one on one coverage, and uh, you know it's it's a rodeo out there, right? You're supposed to hang on for eight seconds in a rodeo for a quarterback, <laughs> you got to hang on for four seconds, and if you give a quarterback four seconds, that's usually a touchdown. So. Um, it's it's really going to be feast or famine, I think, for the Buccaneer front seven to get home. And if they don't, they're really going to expose that that young secondary. 
We're talking with Scott Reynolds, who covers the Bucks for the Pewter Report. It seems as if the mindset, Scott, and tell me if I'm wrong here, that with the defense changing under Todd Bowles and his scheme, that this is going to be a very good fit for Vernon Hargraves compared to what he was asked to do in a zone coverage here. He could be more of a press corner and play to his strengths. How valid is that claim that by bringing in Todd Bowles, by bringing in this new system, what they're going to ask him to do could very well help him flourish and get back on track? I think that's spot on. I really think if you look at what Vernon Hargraves did best and what made him uh, top 11 draft pick uh, in 2016 was his ability to play press man corner. He's not the tallest guy. He's not the longest corner, but um, he's got some size. He's 205, um, just close to 5'11". So he, he's a cornerback that, that is, is a physical guy. He's a good tackler. He can get up and, and press. Um, he does have to use good technique because he's a 4'5 guy. He's not a 4'3 or 4'4 guy. So if he doesn't get good technique, um, you know, if, if there's if he, be, if he can allow a clean release, that's going to be trouble for him. He's really got to do his best to, to to jam a guy at the line and then turn and run because he doesn't have the deep speed to really play catch up. But yes, this is a much better fit for him than what Mike Smith saw. Um, you know, and, and and put him out there with, with with regards to off coverage, a lot of quarters coverage. And I'll tell you what, listen, uh, if you remember, Saquon Barkley and the Giants' offense completely had their way with the Buccaneer defense. And you're going to see a completely 180 style of of defense now with this 3-4 high-pressure press-man coverage style uh, that Todd Bowles is bringing to to the table. And not just benefit Vernon Hargraves in the outside, also will will benefit Carlton Davis, the second-round pick last year who started – uh, as a rookie outside, he is a, a bigger, a more ideal six foot two, you know, two hundred pound press man corner. Um, and then they just added a couple guys too: Sean Murphy Bunting in the second round, and Jamel Dean also from Auburn in the third round. So they've got a lot of young, talented corners that are well versed in the style of press man uh, play, and, and it should it should really benefit uh, them playing in Todd Bowles' scheme. Well, we've got to flip the coin now, Scott, and talk about the offense. And obviously, Winston is uh, in the final year of his contract. And, and we were saying before you came on the line that uh, this this is do or die for him. I mean, I, I don't yeah. know how many people in Tampa Bay still think he is the franchise guy or how many are questioning him, like I am, quite frankly. But it was before last season when they gave, uh, I think, Donovan Smith that, that new deal at left tackle. So they yeah. made sure that they had a foundation and a rock to protect Winston's back to give him an opportunity to flourish. Yeah. Yeah, and when you look at Winston, it is do or die. And um, he's been a turnover machine that has to stop this year. And I think last year it was really difficult because he had the suspension to start the season. And Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick had that marvelous start with three yeah. 400-yard passing games in a row that they really kind of derailed the Bucks' plans. They kind of expected Winston to come back uh, from his suspension and start in Chicago, but that didn't happen. And then Winston kind of had to stay on the back burner until Fitzpatrick flamed out. Then he got a chance to start. Then he got benched after a couple of, of um, poor performances. Then you saw Fitzpatrick get benched in the Giants game. Mm-hmm. So it was really a yo-yo back-and-forth situation for Winston. He could never really get much traction last year. They've cleared the slate. He is the clear starter in Tampa Bay. 
And, and, and if you think there's a chance that anybody else will start, I'll let you know the backup is Blaine Gabbert. So there's no way anyone's starting outside of Jameis Winston unless uh, Winston gets hurt. So they cleared the deck for him to be the guy. No more looking over the shoulder. Uh, Bruce Arians, the quarterback, whisper is in town. And I think more importantly, it's not so much Bruce Arians and his track record with the, with the likes of, of the Carson Palmers and the Peyton Mannings, Andrew Lux, and the Ben Roethlisbergers. It's having... Um, a guy that he's grooming for, I think, a potential head coaching job somewhere down the line, perhaps in Tampa as the heir apparent. That's Byron Leftwich, the former mm. Steelers backup quarterback. He is the offensive coordinator and play caller, and Leftwich is has really formed a strong bond with Winston. And I think the fact that, that they're both similar guys, both tall pocket passers with some mobility, Winston Moore, of course, than Leftwich. Right. But I, I think that that, that relationship is really going to be key to Winston, eliminating those those stupid, costly turnovers and generating more wins for this team because he, he can throw the ball. He's a good passer. Mm-hmm. It's just that critical decision-making and, and just not doing enough to win games that he has to overcome. And if he can, if he can form this, this rapport with, with Leftwich and those two guys can get in sync as a play caller and a quarterback, it could mean the world for Tampa Bay's fortunes uh, from getting out of double-digit losses all these years. And, of course, the quarterback's production tied in, Scott, to the play of the offensive line. I know Paul ran through some of the personnel up front. I would say the left side of the line probably in better shape than the right side of the line, Scott. How concerning is what's going on on the right side? I know the guard position, there's still sort of up in the air who's going to win that spot, as well as the play of DeMar Dotson as of late. Yeah, DeMar is is a good player when healthy, but he's 34 years old. Those injuries have taken a toll. They're trying to squeeze one more year out of him. And curiously, this team didn't draft an offensive lineman this year, which which is just baffling to me because of, of the question marks on the right side of, of the offensive line. Listen, not many personnel changes were made. They lost Quan Alexander. They, they lost uh, Adam Humphreys in free agency. Uh, they kept a lot of their guys. You mentioned Donovan Smith. The, the the verdict was bad coaching is what caused this team to go 5-11 and in the last two years. And the reason you, you say that is because the coaches are gone. There's new coaches here. Most of the personnel and talent still on this team. And and I think that, that we're going to see if Jason Light's theory is correct. Uh, he he did not get along with the offensive line coach, Um and, and uh, the offensive line coach took a lot of heat down here, talking about George Warhoff, who's now in Jacksonville. And, uh, and I have to agree, I think, with the front office's conclusions. Uh, I don't think George Warhoff really developed much talent in, in this, uh, this offensive line room down here. And I think you're going to see Harold Goodwin and Joe Gilbert, those guys are going to come in and really make a difference uh, in terms of, of taking Ali Marpet's game to a Pro Bowl level. Um, not not having Donovan Smith um, have those those momentary lapses of, of concentration where he gives up a costly sack, but they got to do something to right guard because right now they're banking on Alex Kappa developing to be that guy. I don't think he's ready, and uh, it's it's going to cause some serious problems, um, especially when you look at, at at the you know the teams that they're playing against this year. Carolina Panthers. They got Gerald McCoy now along oh. with. Uh, uh, Kwan Shorts, you yeah. know, and uh, Don Terry Poe. There's going to be a lot of guys that, that can take advantage of an Alex Kappa 
and, and really make life miserable for Jameis Winston in this run game. And something tells me McCoy is probably going to be anxious to maybe go up against his former teammates after they <laughs> oh, yeah. gave Endomican Sue his number, I would say. <laughs> oh, yes. No doubt about it. Uh, and speaking of the passing game, you figure Mike Evans is good for, you know, nearly 1,000 yards, if not more, and his 80 catches. I mean, that's what this guy has usually done. So that's fine. I mean, it's going to be there. But O.J. Howard only has 60 grabs over his first two NFL seasons. And I know that while he was at Bama, he didn't put up big numbers because they didn't use the tight end in that fashion. But do you right. think, Scott, that it's possible that this will be a year where all of a sudden O.J. Howard starts elevating himself amongst the receiving leaders at the tight end position? Like maybe he could catch 50 or 60 balls in one year instead of combining for two? No doubt about it. That's exactly what Byron Lefwich and Bruce Arians uh, are, are thinking, and that's the plan. Uh, listen, O.J. Howard is a guy that, that is an absolute freak. When you, when you think of, of some of, of the more freakish tight ends, like Jimmy Graham comes to mind. I mean, he's, he's in that category uh, when it comes to, to tight ends. Tony Gonzalez, that type of ability. Now, the production hasn't been there, and I think part of the reason for that is, again, bad coaching. It's, it's saying, hey, this is a first-round tight end, and we're using him like Cam Brate. This should be a featured guy, like the, the totem pole should be Mike Evans, number one in terms of targets. O.J. Howard, you know, number two, or at the very least, number three. Um, but I, I think you're going to see that this year. Bruce Arian said that he's, he's never had a tight end as, as physically gifted as O.J. Howard. And he's had some pretty good ones. He had Jermaine Gresham in Arizona before that, Heath mm-hmm. Miller at Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. So he's, he's familiar with getting big guys the ball. But this guy is on a whole different level. And I, I think those numbers that you were talking about, that they can really come true. The other guy to keep an eye on in the passing game is Chris Godwin, who can, I think, be a breakout type of, of player this year for the Buccaneers. He came close to 1,000 yards last year, but he's going to be moving into the slot this year in that Larry Fitzgerald-type role, which is, is, is a bigger slot receiver than, than other teams had with the Buccaneers last year in Dirk Cutter's offense. Adam Humphreys, five foot ten, 195 pounds. That was the version of the slot receiver he wanted. But Chris Godwin at 6'1", about 215 pounds, is a bigger guy that can take advantage of those seam routes that Leftwich and Arians would be calling for, for Jameis Winston. And I think between O.G. Howard and Mike Evans and, uh, and Chris Godwin, and then you've got another speed guy on the outside and Brashard Perryman, I think this Buccaneer offense is going to pick up where it left off last year, which was in the top five. Yeah, I'm with you. I love Godwin, and I think now the potential is there with Humphreys moving on to Tennessee. So the sky is the roof with potentially all of the weapons around Jameis Winston. And then, of course, Scott, there's the running game, which has been hit or miss, I would say, over the last few seasons for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Ronald Jones, who they drafted not too long ago, Peyton Barber. How do you see the dynamics of the backfield playing out this season? i tell you, I think it's Peyton Barber and everybody else. I think Peyton Barber is a serviceable guy. Um, they've had that, that type of guy in Tampa Bay before. It kind of reminds me of an Ernest Graham uh, type, which is kind of like a jack-of-all-trades. If you give him the ball enough over 16 games, he might barely get 1,000 yards while averaging about 3.5, 3.6 yards per carry. He's not dynamic. He's a steady Eddie. And, uh, but he can catch the ball, and he's trustworthy. The problem is is what happens if he goes down or needs a breather. There really isn't that that one-two punch here in Tampa Bay. The Bucks are counting on it being Ronald Jones, who was a second-round draft pick last year. He averaged less than two yards per carry and uh, really does not have good hands. 
Um, it's, it's, it's really hard to imagine Ronald Jones taking the necessary steps in training camp in the preseason to where he can vault himself up to live up to that draft billing just in one year. I think he's a young guy. He just turned 21. He's got a ways to go. I think he's more of a project. But this team is counting on him to really be that one-two punch with Peyton Barber and maybe get five, six, seven hundred yards rushing. I just don't see it happening. But uh, but they're they're banking on it. It just it's it's kind of questioning to me. I questioned why the team didn't draft an offensive lineman. They didn't draft a running back either, and that was clearly a big need. Again, they're banking on the offensive scheme and, and the, the run blocking getting better with the better coaching. And uh, I think I think they're asking a lot of this running back room to to do that. But at the same time, I think they're going to pass the ball and they're going to pass the ball to set up the run. So I think really in this offense, the way it's going to be set up with the O.J. Howards and Mike Evans and Chris Godwins and Cam Brates and Rashard Perryman, I I think those are going to be the the featured guys, and they're going to be using the running backs just to kind of pick up some first downs here and there, but they're going to move the ball through the air. Final question for me, Scott, and again, the Buccaneers play the Giants on September 22nd down in Florida. In recent years, the Buccaneers' kicking situation has not been as stable as one would like, and they used a fifth-round draft pick to grab Utah's Matt Gay this spring. Uh, Certainly, there are a lot of people who would say, you know what, never use a draft pick on a kicker, no matter what. (laughs) You could always wind up picking up a veteran or even an undrafted rookie free agent, but they thought enough of of this guy to take him in the fifth. Uh, I would have to believe they they didn't take him to cut him or to put him on a practice squad. So are they going to – they're going to trust this rookie kicker, I guess, with their fortunes. Well, yeah, I mean, there's legit competition because Cairo Santos, the veteran, is – still on the roster they, they brought him back for another year and he was the guy that they signed mid-season when they released mm-hmm. Chandler Canton zero so right now that's going to be the kicking battle you've got the the, the the veteran who is accurate from 40 yards on in but does not have a big leg versus a, a guy that has got a cannon for a leg the Luke Rosa award winner in Matt Gay but is a rookie so I, I think that at least Jason Light is when it, when drafting this kicker says I'm actually going to have some competition this year, unlike when Roberto Aguayo was drafted right. a couple of years back in the second round. Uh, all the fortunes were on him, and that was he a was mess. Anointed as the kicker, at least <laughs> yeah. there's going to be a trial by fire situation here. And um, it, it, between those two guys, I think Matt Gay has looked more impressive. He does have a booming leg, and I think that he's ultimately going to end up being the guy. But Cairo Santos would be the fallback if there's an injury or if Matt Gay just can't cut it during the preseason. Scott, before we let you go, and I know you said that there's a lot of upside here with Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians, the coaching staff, as the front office feels, hey, maybe with the nucleus back and a different voice, that could be the trigger. I look at Tampa Bay, as you well know, this is a team that has played a lot of close games. And you could say that probably, Scott, about most teams in the NFL. I know I'm not telling you anything new, but... A quicksand of mediocrity! Indeed. Well, we'll maybe choose a different (laughs) term. I'd call it parody. Paul goes in a different direction. But the, the reason I'm bringing that up, Scott, how key is this kicking situation? Be, because if Tampa Bay goes back and says, hey, I remember there was the Giants-Bucks game a few years ago, Nick Folk, after multiple yep. misses between both kickers. I mean, so many games have come down to a missed field goal here or there. Regardless of the upside connected to Arians, how much would you argue the season could very well come down to, again, whether Matt Gay or Cairo Santos is consistent enough? 
Yeah, it really is going to come down to that. I mean, it's it's uh, it's been huge. It's been the absolute Achilles heel of Jason Light. He has traded for kickers. He has now drafted two kickers. He has signed veteran uh, kickers like like Nick Folk and and Chandler Cantonzero. Um, it's been a huge struggle. And listen, at the end of the day, this is still a field goal league, right? I mean, yeah. go, go back and look at the Patriots Super Bowls, the ones that they won, not the ones the Giants won, but the ones that the Patriots won. Look at the scores, okay? Look at Adam Benatieri and and uh, and, and Gos, Goskowski. I mean, they won those games just as much as as Tom Brady did. They weren't blowout wins; they were they were last minute kicks and, and all of that. Kicking is still a huge part of the NFL. That's why they start the game with kickoff. It's that important, and uh, and it's it's been a, a critical issue down here. And I think that that and if you want to win games, you better have a good defense because if the other team can't score, they can't win. At the same time, this is a league that that has explosive offenses. I think Tampa Bay has done a good job there, and and having an offense that that can score touchdowns rather than field goals, and and light teams up, but. This is a parity league. You guys are right. I'm not dodging the question. It's critically important. Um, the Buccaneers, you know, they've, they've been in some shootout games and lost. They've been in some, some really close-scoring games and lost. And, and it ultimately, it does come down to kicking. And not just, not just field goals these days anymore, fellas. It's extra points, too, which, which yeah. are just as long as some field goals. So it's big. As much as we say this is on Jameis Winston this season and this is on Todd Bowles and his defensive scheme, it's also on either Matt Gay or Cairo Santos' leg in Tampa. No you doubt know, about S- it. Scott's a good guy, so I don't want to pour salt in the wounds, but Matt Bryant is still kicking for the Falcons. <laughs> <laughs> well, actually, he's not. They cut him this year. Oh, did they? I didn't even know that. Yeah, but but, but the guy's like 41 years old. And there's no reason. <laughs> I mean, that's the reason why they cut him. But um, but he, he has been injured the last couple of years, and, and uh, he's still out there in free agency, and I wouldn't be surprised. If there is an injury or one of these guys in camp doesn't look good, that Matt Bryan uh, does My get a, a look from the Buccaneers. Because I'll tell you what, the Buccaneers, there there has been a curse of Matt Bryant because the Buccaneer kicking situation has not been good since they cut him. He is. Scott Reynolds covers the Bucks for the Pewter Report. Scott, great stuff. Really appreciate the time and the insight. Thanks so much for weighing in here on the program. We'll see you in September, Scott. Bye. My pleasure, guys. Looking forward to it. Thank you. Absolutely. That is Scott Reynolds once again. Lay out of the land for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in 2019 as they will square off with the Giants in week number three. And we'll continue to move along next week with some more Giants opponents. Over or under, will it be 100 degrees that day when the Giants play them? Well, I would say considering <laughs> it's a battle in September, Paul, my money would be over. I'm okay with that because... Be prepared, though. I'm well, just it, telling it you. extends my tan, so I'm good with that. Well, of course, you're not going to complain about it. No, I, don't know I if, love it. And most of the fans, I'm sure, are used to o- that type of weather anyway. The players, I got to tell you, man, you talk about hydrate, hydrate, hydrate. Yeah. My goodness, you know, especially uh, when you get into the second half. You know, you're seeing guys just, you know, some guys got to go in the locker room and take IVs and stuff. I of mean, it, it, gets, it gets rough. And in the fourth quarter, when it's a close battle... And, and you're sucking wind and you're just drenched on the sidelines. You know, it's a, it's a tough place, I think, for some of the, 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 the I don't want to say cold-weather teams because it's not cold here in New York in September. But to go down into that hot and humid climate in Florida in the first month of the season can be a challenge.
100%. It's a completely different environment, and it doesn't matter whether you're playing consistently in 40-degree weather. It's just, to your point, you have to adjust to the heat, the humidity. I think the best example to what you just talked about, Paul, last year, if you remember, Patriots visited the Jaguars early yes. in the season. It was one of the most lopsided games that New England played last season. Well, not to take anything away from Jacksonville, not to make excuses, but... I guarantee you when they look back, the weather and the environment played a big role in that game. You see, I tried to convince the NFL to flop the Giants-Tampa game with the Giants-Miami so game. Yeah. Because, see, <laughs> the Giants have to play Miami in December at home, and it would have been nice to, to go switch to those out. Yes. Tampa in December. Understandable. But they weren't going for it. Well, in fairness, you got that a few years ago. Remember, the Giants played a December game in Miami. They did. I so know. You I got know. your wishes. You know, you, you know. can't be that high demanding here. Okay? The it NFL is what schedule is. is not going to necessarily kowtow to your needs no. every single season. Anyway. 201-939-4513 is the telephone number. Hashtag Giants Chat on Twitter. We're going to open up the remainder of the program to phone calls and tweets. As we take you up till the top of the hour, Lance Metal Paul Dettino with you here. It's all presented by Coors Light. Let's open up the lines and we check in with Len, who is in Columbia, Maryland. Len, what's happening? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing all right, Len. Len, did you get what's that training camp schedule yet? We got to get you up here. I, I, I got my ticket, so I won't give you the date, but I'll, I'll text John. <laughs> okay. Thank you. Um, Keeping that a mystery from us. My goodness, boy. Um, I I didn't think that was going to be a big storyline this offseason. When is Len going to show up for Giants training camp? (laughs) Keeping the entire audience at the edge of their seats here. I don't want to increase the – see, if I throw the date out there, I'll increase the crowd. That's a good point, Len. You're right. And and security (laughs) procedures have changed uh, too. uh, Since the kickoff in Tampa is at at 4 o'clock, it may only be 97 or 98 degrees by then. Possibly. But, That's but a very course, good point. Of course, we're going to have to worry about the lightning, <laughs> the lightning, the thunder, and the rain <laughs> yep. for the afternoon game. That's that's a. It's always a great road trip for Giants fans, but wow, that's a. That's a tough date to play a football game. Yeah, it is. Hey, um, mentioned mentioned by the by the Tampa guy of of the uh, Lou Groser Award, uh, one one of the early and maybe the the best straight on place kicker in the history of pro football, and uh, also just. Kind of one other uh, shout out to to, to Groza, uh, a heck of a tackle, offensive tackle, who went to the Pro Bowl three early Pro Bowls so three or four times for his play at offensive tackle. And you usually don't see place kickers uh, making the Pro Bowl at another position. Um, hey Paul, early in the week uh, you had a show. I don't think it was with Lance, but you, uh, one of one of the main topics was training camp, and. Um, uh, I, I tried to call in, couldn't get in, but um, can I throw out a couple of things about training camp, Paul? Or sure. Was that, uh, no, no, go ahead. Yeah. What do you got? Yeah, yeah. No, I was just going to say, uh, and, uh, and, uh, and I'll make it quick. First of all, it's a great show. It's a great show. Everybody's very nice. And if you're a Giants fan, uh, you know, at least once in your life, you you, you got to make it to, you know, some training camp, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully there at the stadium area, but... It, it really is a great show. People are very nice. Um, the uh, bleacher areas are covered, folks, if you're going. Yes. So you don't have to worry about the heat with the sun, uh, especially if it's one of those 245 practices. Um, traffic is not a problem. Parking's not a problem. And maybe most importantly, they hand you a roster sheet when you go in. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. And with 90 guys in the roster, that comes in handy. <laughs> sure does. <laughs> Even yeah, for me, Lane, trust me. Yes, I don't indeed. know anybody that's got them all memorized at this, this, uh, you know, at this time. But, hey, if anybody gets a chance, go. It really is a great show. Um, you, you know, look at, looking at starting to take a hard look at the roster and listening to you talking with the Tampa guy about number of sacks, and uh, I, I like it that you guys have zeroed in on 40 as kind of a number. You know, you got to get the 40. Um, 42 is my number, Lynn, but, you know, it's close enough. The bottom line is, where are they coming from? Well, in terms of last season, real quickly, Len, before you continue, the cutoff, if you wanted to finish in the top half of the league, 35 yeah. was the cutoff number last season. But okay. 35 is going to fluctuate. So that's why I think 40 is a better gauge to say, yes. hey, you know you're finishing in the top half of the league. Yeah, okay, good point, good point. Um, you know, maybe 35. I, I just, it seems to me you got to have some, an individual who can get to 10, 11, 12 that other teams start to pay attention to mm-hmm. for, for you to get to 40. Probably. I, and yeah. I just don't see, you know, maybe I'll be surprised. I'm looking to be surprised by a lot of things from the Giants this year. But I, I don't see 40 on that roster. I think it's going to be so tough to, you know, to get there. Uh, so, we, so my, you know, that's my comment. My question is, how important do you think that is for us to get to 8, 8, 9, 7? Um, or can we just outscore everybody and get into a, you know, get into a foot race, get into a basketball game? Um, what, do, what do you think? I mean, how critical is that? Land, it, or, is it, or is it just one of those things, you know, it's nice to be able to talk about when the season's over. Len, I think there are probably two other more important factors than the sack number. And I, and I do think the pressure on the quarterback and sacks and hits and pressure, those are all important things, yes. Yes, yes. But, but, but to me, they could probably not achieve the desired number in sacks but still become a winning team if, A, they avoid any significant injuries at the thin spots, which we've already gone over many times over. This offensive line, the starting five better be able to play 16 games. Okay? We we know that pretty much. Yes. Yes. We know know for a fact that – you know, it's going to be hard if Eli goes down, if Daniel Jones has to suddenly go in there on a moment's notice for him to produce a winning record. We know if Saquon Barkley should get hurt. I mean, there are a number of thin spots on this depth chart. Sure. Oh, my goodness. Win. So I'm yeah. going to say to you, for the Giants to win, okay, to have a winning record, they have to be healthy at all their thin spots. Number two is going to be that the young defense, especially the young back seven, they're going to make their rookie mistakes. I've discussed this with both Lance yes. and John. They're going to make their share of rookie mistakes. The question is, how fatal will those mistakes be? How many of them are they going to make? And how many times are they going to be in critical spots where the opponent takes advantage of them and makes the Giants pay by, by, by beating them in a particular game? I think yeah. if they can keep those things to a minimum, the injuries and the number of fatal mistakes, they can probably still have a winning record despite not reaching the sack total that we have prescribed. Um, well, I agree with everything you said, Paul, and uh, especially on the injury front. I keep thinking if we can keep um, our top 
28 to 30 guys, and those aren't all starters, Mm -hmm. 28 to 30 guys, if we can keep them generally healthy, I mean, not losing you for the season, um, you know, Lance is going to chirp in here and say, well, that's true of any team, but I think it's especially important for us if we can keep, you know, 28 to 30, our best players, uh, healthy, or maybe you know, we're missing a game or two, but not a whole season. And and if we don't get wiped out at a particular position, you know, if we, if we don't lose four tight ends, three centers, you know, things like that. Well, because the, the I, rationale I, I, behind I think that, we Lane. can hang in there, and that the thirty-five to forty sex doesn't become as important. Nice to have, don't get me wrong, but I. I I I think you're right on with with isolating those other things. Well, and the reason why the depth is key here in terms of your 28 to 35 is because this is a season where the Giants need to rely on volume. They're not going to have one guy in particular to me do all the heavy lifting. And and let me just throw out a few numbers, which is why, in my personal opinion, I would be very surprised if the Giants get to 40 sacks. If they do, I'm not saying it's impossible, Len. If they do... To me, that means that there's going to be at least 10 guys on this team that are going to have career years. That doesn't mean that they're going to get 10 sacks, but they're even going to get Uh, to maybe five or six. Case in point, case in point, okay? Marcus Golden leads the way on the team right now. He has 19 career sacks. He had 12 and a half of those 19 sacks in one season, okay? So that further puts things in perspective. The 10 other players on the team in the front seven that have recorded at least a sack in their career have totaled 34 and a half. They don't even get to 40 when you combine all of their career numbers. And yeah. and nobody has more than six and a half in their career. So like I said, oh. I'd be very oh. surprised if they get to 40. You know, to fortify that point, Len, here's the yeah. issue. Remember last year when Olivier Vernon, you know, tried to do what he could do, but the bottom line was, and I've called him a Robin, they don't have a Batman here in, on this pass rush. That's fair. He is a Robin. The problem was the Giants needed Olivier Vernon to be a Batman. But JPP was Batman. And when yeah. he was here and Vernon was allowed to be Robin, they had a dynamic duo. Well, when JPP left and now Vernon had to be Batman, he didn't fit into the cowl. I don't yeah. think the Giants this year right now have a Batman. I think they probably have a bunch of Robins. And unless somebody steps up to fit into that cowl, whether it's Marcus Golden or maybe maybe it's Zimenez, who knows? Maybe this rookie comes in and wrecks havoc and has nine or ten sacks out of the box. Unless that happens, I don't see them getting to the 40 sacks. I just don't. You know, you, know, you, you guys are killing me. Well, I'm listen. almost sorry I opened up the topic because you're so absolutely right. It's really going to be tough to get to that 35 or 40 number. Um, I mean, maybe you know, Lorenzo Lance, you, Carter. You were so right you know, in, your, in your observation when maybe, you said may, that. It, let's say uh, for but a I, I think we're going to have to, you know, I'm looking for a lot of surprises, guys. <laughs> well, they're going to need them. They're going to need them. They're all not going to come through, but I'm hoping for a lot of surprises from the Giants. Here's the formula you need, Lance. Let, let's, let's put Lance's mathematics aside for a second because I don't think that's very likely at all. The most likely way the Giants can get to 40 sacks is, let's say, Golden has a dozen, like he's done once before in his career. Let's say Lorenzo Carter steps up and gets eight or nine. That'll get you to 20. And then Zimenez, as a rookie, gets eight. Now, all of a sudden, that that gives you close to 30. Well, yeah, okay, now okay, you've got a realistic... Okay. To me, that's the, the most likely, best-case scenario you could ask for. Well, and, and Len, well, listen, we're, we're going to let you go on that note yeah, because we, yeah. we certainly appreciate you yeah. weighing in. 
You, you got yeah, it. Thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank now, based on your hypothetical scenario, and I know it's hypothetical. I'm not saying that you're claiming that those guys are going to get to those numbers. Not at all. But just I'm suggesting that that equation might get uh, you in the vicinity. In terms of it being feasible. But, you know, under your hypothetical, let's just take it a step further, Paul. You're asking a rookie to come in year one. And once again, I'm not saying you're saying this is going to happen. A rookie to come in year one and explode, who also is making the transition from not necessarily a top-notch program too. Let, let, let's also take that into consideration with Zimenez to get near 10. You're asking Lorenzo Carter to also make a humongous leap between his rookie year and his four. second year. He had yeah, four. But that's I'm still, at, I mean, that, you're doubling, could, could you're he, doubling what he did as a rookie. I don't think that's a horrible stretch. Uh, once in again, fact, it wouldn't shock me if Carter actually wound up leading the team in sacks. And that had, wouldn't and stun me either. No, that would not stun me. But once again, just talking about the sample size, you're asking him to duplicate his production and Marcus Golden getting back to the 2016 form, which I don't think is a stretch either. But this is important to note. Nothing wrong with asking. Hey, you can ask for anything. Doesn't mean you're going to get it. But, but this is important to note with Marcus Golden, and the opportunity is huge for him. But I'm going to go back to your parallel because I like your parallel about the Batman Robin, Okay. When Golden in 2016, Paul, Yeah, Chandler Jones to be Batman. And that, but that's an important part of the equation, Paul. It's huge. It, you had Chandler Jones taking attention away from Marcus Golden, drawing double teams, so Golden took advantage of it. I don't know that Golden can be Batman, but he's going to have to be. Well, because then he's going to then have to create opportunities for the Carters and the Zimenezes of the world. But the question is, can Golden now make the leap, now that he's a little bit removed from that torn ACL, can he become Batman? Can somebody else elevate to Robin without a Chandler Jones or Olivier Vernon in the picture? That, to me, is something that's important to analyze and not just dismiss. So you're not just asking Robin to become Batman. You're also asking him to do that without having any luxury of somebody else who's dynamic opposite him. See, I, I still think that's a better path to go than to ask six or seven guys to have five sacks apiece. Yeah, I think that's a tough, tall order, too. That's asking even yeah. more but to I, me. But I guess what I'm saying is if I'm James Betcher— I'm maybe going in with that being my game plan, Paul, that if I could get multiple guys with four or five, that that could be a little bit more realistic than asking Robin to become Batman just like that. I think the spread the wealth mentality way, is what I'm to trying a, to do if I'm better. A high mountain to climb, either yeah. way. Well, And that's why there's a little bit of intrigue, I think, connected to the Giants' defense. No, there's a lot of stress and, and agita. No, but see, well, you can look at it through that lens, but but I look at it as there's there's a lot of unknown surrounding the Giants' defense. But you know what? With unknown, I think does come intrigue because maybe, to your point, somebody will come in and surprise in year one. Or maybe there's going to be a secondary player, by the way. That's something that we also didn't talk about. That's a way to collect more I'll say sense. this. Let's hope that Marcus Golden resuscitates his career a lot better than Mike Kroll did, the former Bronco, when he wound up coming to the Giants and became invisible. Well, they're going to need Golden to get back to form. I think that goes without saying. If he gets back to form, that's a huge step in the right direction. But even if Golden gets back to form, okay, you still need somebody else, not just one, not two, maybe three. No doubt. To still now balance out Golden. Because think about this. If Golden gets 12, okay, let's say 10, okay, double digits. Let's say Golden gets back to double digits. All right, so you're still a quarter there. Somebody has to get another 10, and it may take you, Paul, two to three guys just to get the 10. 
Here I am asking for Batman and Robin, and you want the whole Justice League. Well, I'm, <laughs> as we continue, I didn't think we were going to get into a DC versus Marvel type of battle royale here. But I, I, I think it's valid in all seriousness to wonder, you know, who's going to answer the call? And, and that's why th this is not a conversation to hit the panic button for Giants fans and say, oh boy, I mean, based on the math that Paul and Lance are bringing to the forefront, you know, this is not necessarily painting a rosy picture. First of all, we're trying to be realistic here. I mean, Paul and I are not here to, you know, paint this picture to expect everybody to have a career year. But I think Len brought up an interesting question based on our previous conversations about, all right, if 40 is your target number, all right, how reasonable is it to think that the Giants again in that ballpark? And as I said, whether you want to put stock or substance into any of the numbers I threw out, Paul, but if outside of Marcus Golden, 10 Front seven players have combined for 34 and a half sacks, which is shy of 40. In order to get to 40, assuming Golden gets back to form, you are going to need at least six or seven guys to have career years. Meaning, if one player has two career sacks, you're going to have to ask him to duplicate his career sack total this season. I know. I think that's a very tough expectation. This is why I still believe that going into the season, despite the fact that I think the Giants can still achieve a winning record if those other things we talked about before are accomplished, this is still, in my opinion, the number one Achilles heel. And, and, and here's the thing. Injuries, more than anything else, are the product of bad luck. You can't predict or game plan or coach injuries, really. I mean, I know we talk all the time yeah. about how Eli does a great job of absorbing hits in the pocket, which does reduce the amount of injuries he has taken. But at the same time, your injury list by by the end of the season, there's not a team in the league that can go in and say, well, we anticipate we're going to have this amount of injury. You just don't. You can't. It's impossible. That's the product of luck, okay? The fatal flaws that, that come from the mistakes made by your young secondary are also unpredictable. All we know is that this young defense is going to make its share of mistakes. We know that. That's a given. But I can't sit here and tell you, and you can't tell me, how many of those mistakes will directly turn into Giants' defeats. We have no idea. Well, you don't because you just don't know how the offense is going to balance out the defense and vice versa. Okay, so those those two things, which probably have a bigger impact on the Giants' final one loss record than anything else, are totally unpredictable. So now you say, okay, of the things that we actually can chew on and be logical about, what is the biggest Achilles heel on this team? And it would have to be lack of proven pass rush. Yeah. Well, and the reason why we're focusing on also top half of the league where you finish total sack numbers because some people would argue sacks don't tell the whole story. And I would agree with that segment. We both agree with of that. Of the football fan base because you look at pressures, how you create it's pressures, just all of that. It's indicative of having a strong enough pass rush that it can impact your status. Exactly. And here's the other thing. I think you tapped into something interesting. First of all, I wanted to actually, let me throw out this number first. Nine of the 12 teams that made the playoffs last year finished in the top half of the league in sacks. I wanted to get that out. Does not surprise me at all. That, to me, is no coincidence. The second thing I wanted to bring up is your point about you don't know how your secondary may come back to bite you because there's a lot of youth. Well, let's look at the Kansas City Chiefs. Okay, the reason why I think the Kansas City Chiefs are relevant in this conversation, Paul, 
Kansas City tied with Pittsburgh for the most sacks in the NFL last season. Kansas City did not have a good defense. And I think we saw, based on what New England did and their <laughs> non-disciplined plays down the stretch, how they gave Tom Brady— Are you Brady, sure about that, Lance? Yes, I know I'm going out on a limb here. And the Patriots, an opportunity to convert one third down after another. But the reason why I want to bring that up is not to focus on the AFC Championship game. Kansas City is an example, Paul, of where if your offense is explosive— you can cover up and make do with shortcomings on the defensive side. And also, your sacks can cover up maybe a suspect secondary. And I think that's exactly the school of thought that Kansas City subscribed to. And, and don't tweet at me and tell me, why is Lance bringing up Patrick Mahomes in that offense? That's not my point. My point is to show what you were just subscribing mm -hmm. to, Paul. You can find other ways to make up for voids or issues on your team. And Kansas City, while everybody wants to crown them from last season and a tremendous year, Kansas City was not short of faults. They had issues, okay? They had problems, but nobody focused on that, Paul, because they went out and scored about 40 points a game, and everybody said, hey, all is going to be well. But you know what? When it mattered the most in the AFC Championship game, there's a reason why they did not overcome New England and get to the Super Bowl. Well, we've also talked on this show before about the number of turnovers that a defense comes up with. And there's no question that when you have a suspect defense or a growing defense as the Giants have right now, one that's trying to, you know, get better and improve. Well, one of the best things that could possibly happen to them, besides an offense outscoring the opponent and besides the offense controlling the tempo and the clock, would be to get a bunch of turnovers, which will bail you out. And how do you do that? Well, about the only way that you can really coach or program turnovers, because they are so much the product of luck in many, many ways, is getting pressure on the QB. And, and, and that's why... I, oh, man, it's the spider web. I always come back to this. It's a spider web, Lance. The National Football League, the professional football as a game, is a spider web. Domino effect. Yeah. Peel back the layers of the onion. You get pressure on the quarterback. You get those hits. You get those hurries. You get those sacks. Now the quarterback is more apt to make mistakes when he throws the ball. And when he makes those mistakes, you get more turnovers because of interceptions. So... It's all intertwined. One thing's connected to another. It's a great game. I love it. Yeah. Well, and that's why it's the ultimate team sport, too, to what you just said, Paul, because if your offense is great, hey, that's good for your outlook of the season. It doesn't mean that that facet of the team alone is going to take you to the promised land, especially if your defense and your special teams is not delivering. I want to get to a few tweets here before we close up shop here yes. on Big Blue Kickoff Live. For those of you who didn't have an opportunity to weigh in, hashtag Giants chat as we'll continue to monitor those tweets. We were actually talking about that Tampa Bay Buccaneers game with Scott Reynolds, who we had on earlier when we were previewing the Bucks, and A.J. Marshall, A.J. Marshall 3, providing more details for the game that I brought up. Last time Giants played at the Buccaneers, Aldrich Rosas missed the game-winning field goal. If you remember, the Buccaneers won 25-23. Yeah, Rosas missed the field goal, and then Nick Folk mm -hmm. had the field goal that went his way. So that gets back to the point about how so many close games have come down to a three-point opportunity when it comes to... The Giants, the Bucks, you name it. A lot of teams certainly come into play. I know Davin Anderson was throwing out potential questions to ask Scott, but I think we actually addressed this with Scott because one of his questions was the major difference between what the head coach 
has done in Tampa Bay versus Arizona in terms of personnel with Bruce Arians. And that was one of the first questions, Paul, that we asked Scott. He mentioned accountability yeah. is a big difference that he's already seeing. And he said the Bucks front office is of the mindset we didn't have to change the roster around because we think we have good talent there. We just need to change who's pulling the string. So I think... Davin, that Scott answered that question, and if he did not, feel free to follow up with another tweet that at least related to perhaps what you were throwing out there. Vic wants to weigh in here on his experience at Giants training camp. He says that he attended Giants training camp for 14 years in Albany, I went one year in New Jersey, and in his opinion, he's saying there's absolutely no comparison. He loves the Albany setup, saying it was a wonderful place. The players were up close and personal, had the conversations with a number of Giants legends and current players. Well, I mean, it's basically, it's a different layout of the land. So Although it's hard there to are compare. many Giants legends here because yeah. they do schedule them for each of the public practices to sign autographs and take pictures and outside the fence. And that list is up on Giants.com slash training camp, by the way, if you want to pinpoint the day to come. But the reason why... Listen, you had a lot more experience at Albany than I did. So you, I Pace think, and Fairleigh Dickinson, yes, too. Yes, you've been around the board. No, no, but <laughs> I've been it, to four different training in camps. terms of the logistics. But I think it's a little bit unfair to compare this setup to the Albany setup because, I mean, you're on a campus. It, it was a little bit more flexible and free to move around, have access to the players. Whereas here, I mean, you're dealing with the enclosure, the Giants facility. I just don't think the logistics are fair to compare. That's my personal opinion. No, you're, you're right. And by the way, this is the only training camp of the four that I've been through during my 37 years where you actually have fully structured and covered bleachers around the practice field. So there's the pro. So it's more of a sit-down formal event to come to as opposed to something which is kind of like just going to somebody's backyard and watching them play. It's a, it's a different atmosphere. Now, whether or not you prefer it, you're entitled to your opinion. I would never tell anybody that they're right or wrong, but but there's certainly a much more structured format to having it at your home base. That is going to wrap up things for us here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. No program tomorrow. The offices is closed, but we'll be back up and running on Monday with a new edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, and we will be previewing the Philadelphia Eagles, so stay tuned for that. Next week, we're going to wrap up all the Giants' opponents as we get a better feel of who New York is going to go up against in 2019. It is all presented by Coors Light. As usual, certainly appreciate the phone calls, appreciate the tweets. Anything we didn't get to, we'll try to follow up off the air. Excuse me. For Paul Dottino, I'm Lance Meadow. Enjoy the rest of your Thursday, and always stay locked to Giants.com. Have a good one.